five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about customer fatigue and RFM today. Okay, so it's a big topic these days. It's surprising. It keeps surprising me. Uh, but anyway, um, so this is Tom Fishburne's latest cartoon, Push Notification Fatigue. And he says, your order has shipped. Your order is on a truck. Your order is still on a truck. Your order thinks you care about every, <laughs> about every little update. Now, why won't it? There it goes. About every little update. Your order wants to interrupt whatever you're doing. Your order is out for delivery. Your order has been delivered. Your order is waiting for you. And uh, the, the husband says to the wife, next time we need dental floss, I'm going to the store. <laughs> and the phone says, what took you so long? That's an excellent question. Sometimes they sit on our porch for a while. And so Tom is uh, pointing out that we have notification fatigue okay braze which i've never heard of recently reported that the average smartphone user receives over 40 push notifications per day and the atlantic says it's more like between 50 and 80 and you know it's funny because my my wife's phone is going off like the you know when my granddaughter was little Every time the phone would go off, uh, she'd say, Nona's phone, <laughs> when she'd hear that little sound. And she doesn't differentiate between text messages and and WhatsApp or, uh, you know, and all of her ringtones are the same, no matter what, who's calling. And so it's like, it's like, don't you know how to work a smartphone? <laughs> I'm sorry, but, you know... Uh, I used to get lots of notifications in the middle of my show here and from my family mostly. And I so I learned that I could turn off WhatsApp, for example, because somebody will post something cute and then everybody chimes in, bump, 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 and it just goes crazy. And so I get no notifications on WhatsApp. So I tell people, well, if you want to get my attention, don't send it on WhatsApp. I'll get to it. I always check it, but I won't check it. I don't check it because it rings. Um, I have a different, no, a different notification sound for, um, for text messages, right? And I have different ringtones for my favorite people in the different, <laughs> in my phone. It's not hard. And I turn off the ringer and I turn off all notifications at about 11 o'clock at night. And I don't turn them on again until after eight in the morning. That's, you're not a luck. <laughs> Call all you want. Okay, but if you are a favorite and you call more than if you call more than twice in five minutes, I think it does ring it. So if it's an emergency, it does get through. So uh, here's what the Atlantic Atlantic staff writer Amanda Mull categorized push notifications last week. Push notifications may indeed be the smartphone's defining feature. They are, if nothing else, a perfect avatar of how frustrating it can be to own one. There's no reason it should be. Come on, get with it, you boomers, as <laughs> my kids would say. <laughs> Behind many of those push notifications are brands promoting and sending updates, trying to drive engagement. And this is the key part I want to talk about. Of one sort, of some sort or other. Some of these notifications are genuinely useful, but often they're buried behind the ones that aren't. Okay. 
So, I mean, the key is to take control of this. The healthcare industry coined a term alert fatigue. You know, it's your own fault. <laughs> a patient was accidentally given 3,800% <clears throat> order of his medication. I don't know if, I don't know what that means. He gave, it's like he got a case of the drug instead of a, a bottle. I don't know. But anyway, the uh, hospital notified the pharmacist and the doctor, but they ignored, both of them ignored it because the same system generates alerts for 50% of the hundreds of prescriptions they handle each day. You know, nobody, nobody seems to get that there's a cost. There's a cost to interrupting my day, which if, I, if you know what you're doing, you get rid of it. You stop it. I downloaded the eBay app long, long ago because I like kind of like eBay. And it started giving me all these notifications about where it was and all this stuff. Nothing, nothing earth shattering. And I just turned them all off. And I actually uninstalled the app. And so uh, apparently now I now I know better. Now you can go into your apps and on a selective basis, you can disconnect the, the alerts. I used to have a weather alert app. But it would be going off all the time, you know, when the, there were thunderstorms in the area. Well, in the summer, there's always thunderstorms in the area. I want to know when one's really coming at me. And, you know, without that sophistication, it's worthless. Uh, alerts are not, you know, and, and I, would, I used to get um, public safety alerts that would be, you know, someone in the Milwaukee, Waukesha, Racine County had been abducted in there in a red Chevy or something. And I'm sitting at home at night. What am I going to do? Nothing. So, although I did get one once that said there was a fugitive at, uh, uh, at large in Heartland. I thought, well, I better check my gun, see, make sure it's loaded. But other than that, you know, that one sort of was quasi helpful. I don't know how that one got through my screen, but maybe that one was a higher priority because of my location. Anyway, um, marketers have to be wary of the alert fatigue also. Why send one push notification when 10 will do? And consumers are learning to ignore them. Yeah, well, I, you know, I do like the idea that I can get be gotten to by my kids. Uh, but I tell them it's only text messages. And so I, whenever I get a, a spammy text message, I, I delete it, block it, and... Uh, been very good about that. So if I get something, it's usually a personal message from a friend. Um, so you can control this, right? Um, inside the mind of the consumer, here's some related thoughts. Sometimes the best customer experience is less customer experience. Well, we're going to talk about that as we go on a little bit. My husband, my kids, my friends, Fifi, home, sunsets, travel, me, mom and dad. I don't see our brand of pickle relish anywhere. Inconceivable. This is a brand loyalist, and this is important for a couple of reasons because we're going to hear from somebody an article, a new article that says if you can figure out the brain of your most loyal customers, you can find more like it. And I defy them to do it. I defy them to do it because we don't think about your brand and we don't think of you as a relationship, no matter, you know. A1 sauce I used for years. I loved A1 sauce. Guess what? Now I buy the Aldi or the Piggly Wiggly brand. <laughs> I actually like it much better. A1 sauce is much more fluid. And they put fillers <laughs> in the Piggly Wiggly stuff. Okay, here. Alert, alert, alert. 
Having trouble sleeping? $5 off nighttime sleep aid liquid caps. Okay, see, and that you can really cure easy. Just You can just <laughs> tell the phone that you have a life and you don't want to be woken up by anybody between 11. You know, and I got a call one time from one of my kids at 2 in the morning, and I was driving to Florida with my mother, and we had just pulled off and got a hotel room and just got to sleep, and it was because there was a huge traffic jam and construction and stuff in the middle of the night uh, south of Atlanta. And uh, we just got to sleep, and my phone rings, and I hear my daughter laughing. That's when I figured this out. I was ready to strangle her through the phone. Uh, next time, you could just opt out of the push notifications from marketers, and the guy smashed his phone. And that's exactly true. That's exactly true. So thank you for that, Tom. And I urge all of you, if you don't know how to do it, give me a call, and we'll talk it through. Unless you have an Apple, and then you're on your own. <laughs> ask your smart, ask your smarty pants phone to do it for you. Okay, here's an interesting one. Netflix, two-thirds of Netflix password sharers say they'll pay for their own accounts. Two-thirds of them, of the sharers, okay? So we got this we got this message the last week from my daughter. I'm canceling on principle. I've been a customer for 10-plus years, and the idea that I can't share my account with a couple of family members is ridiculous. And we all have miglosh for last names. I mean, you know, they can know we're family. <laughs> I don't even watch Netflix that much anymore. I can live without it. And that last part, I can live without it, is the part that Netflix is risking big time. Okay, and this anecdotal evidence coincides, I pasted that in, but this is the message. This anecdotal message coincides directly with this article. Recent research says that Netflix, Netflix sent out last week um, an email to my my style consultant saying they would cut off free password sharing and charge eight bucks per use outside of your immediate household address. Okay, so uh, four out of in the survey of 2,500 adults, four out of 10, 40 percent, were willing to pay more to share their account. Well, the trouble with this is the way they said it. This was really a stupid offer. They would have said, would you pay $8 more to share it with up to six members or something? Up to something, up to four members. That's not what they said. In the email, she read it to me. In the email, it said, anybody outside your household who uses it, and what if you're, and what if you're on a trip? What if you're on traveling? <laughs> Do you have to pay an extra $8, even though it's you? I don't know. I don't know how they're going to enforce it. But anyway, they said, they said, anyone outside your immediate address, well, good is it if you can't, it's not transportable. But anyway, outside of your address, it's going to be $8 for that, for one use outside of, you know, per month. She said, I can't afford to pay 25 bucks extra a month, which it's going to, you know, because I have three of you that are using it. And, uh, you know, I don't even use it. So they so it was going to more than double her Netflix cost, maybe maybe triple it if there was somebody else that she'd given it to or then didn't know about it. I said, well, you could change your password and find out how many there are. Um, you know, they'll call you up. But she said, you know, I can live without it. And this coincides a lot with what the rest of the article says. 
52% of Gen Z and 51% of millennials and about a quarter of Gen X and baby boomers say nuts to that. I can live without it. Right. 37, 40% basically overall. So 40% of the sharers said they might might pay for it. We'll see. But 40% of the Netflix subscribers said they're going to pay for it. Those are the ones, the long-term best customers Netflix has. 10 years plus. And this goes along with something that I found out years ago, which is, you know, Harvard Business Review says it's always easier to sell something to an existing customer than to than to find a new customer. And that the longer a customer has been with you, the more profitable they are. Yeah, but when you poke them in the eye, it doesn't matter how long they've been with you. If they don't like it, they're gone. So they've just they've just penalized their best customers for something pretty trivial. And I don't like I said, I don't know how they're gonna they're gonna verify when you're out of your house and you're traveling how you're gonna how they're gonna not charge you extra for that. And if they do, then they're really done. Then they're really really done. So uh, just like Blockbuster, they've gotten too big for their own britches and they've lost touch with their customers. And that is the normal cycle of, of marketing life. So here's a good blog by Richard Ball, who says, focus on your top 20% of your customers. And the reason I'm bringing up this article, which, you know, has some merit and, you know, but it's all about digital and how you can do things digitally. And I, I would disagree that you can't. You can't really focus on this. But not all customers are created equal. Majority of your profits come from a very small segment of your customer base. And it's way smaller than the top 20%. I'll show you in a minute. Uh, so continually nurturing and investing in these value relationships can be key. And I did a presentation a couple weeks ago for Brian Kurtz on RFM. And people... Uh, on that call or on a subsequent call where we, where we talked about it, they said that they, they dot coms, uh, this was a subscription company, that uh, they gave up on people after 90 days. Bought, and then they, if they didn't respond in 90 days, they were done. Whereas in the catalog business, you know, George Mosier, National Business Furniture, he would mail somebody that would only order once. He might mail them 10 years if it was a big order, right? He said, you know, it might not be statistically valid, but somebody who paid $50,000 and came from that particular list, you know, that that's that might be a good list. There might be another one in there somewhere, right? <coughs> so uh, the disproportionate distribution rule, Pareto principles, suggests that 80% of the results or effects come from 20% of causes or inputs, okay? And um, it's not exact, and that's true, but it it works all the time. I've never seen it not work. And that's kind of the principle of scoring and customer segmentation is to figure out who's better than others. Now, you can do it a lot better than RFM. Uh, and I'll show you some reasons why. But um, then he says, if you, when you know what makes your customers unique, think back to the pickle relish cartoon, you don't know. In my book, I talk about the I love you variable. Some customers love you, but you know what? They look a lot like the rest of your customers. And you can't just know, but the, the way you find out is to keep in touch, okay? Mostly. You can know some. You can know a little bit. But uh, mostly you keep in touch. But the question is, how much do you keep in touch? And the key is proportioning your marketing to the, to the value that they've shared with you already. 
and not going in whole hog with the company that just bought a little gift uh, in the fourth quarter for Christmas for their for some some relative or friend and you don't really know why they ordered and they ordered online and they're not worth it they're not worth coming back to and we found that off over and over and over in the catalog industry that digitally acquired customers are are close to worthless close yeah compared to compared to mail acquired customers so anyway i just wanted to show you um something about rfm and i wanted to also tell you that rfm.migmar.com i'll put the link in the in the show notes rfm.migmar.com is uh, open again i was going to show it for that talk i gave and i went on there and it was all gone and i had gotten a notice that i was running out of disk space and uh it turns out i had like a 15 gig limit and it was from a plan that was from the 90s <laughs> and i've been with the same hosting company pair uh for since 97 or something and uh so i now i changed to a new plan and it's literally the same price or less and it's 300 gig of storage <laughs> you know i fill it up with these <laughs> with these podcasts every day but anyway so let's go look at an rfm scoring this is a typical scoring methodology uh richard says richard ball says your top 20 percent so if we make customers in equal 20 percent okay these have ordered 10 times or more and this is this was actual this was an actual case um where the bottom 20 percent had ordered once the the next 20 percent had only ordered once and the next one was a mix so the bottom 60 percent mainly was one-time buyers okay and that's a very common way to, to score files okay i guess do i get to i thought i was in the slideshow but i don't think i am start from current slide okay there we go okay so now let's click and uh and this is the way the sales come out if instead of margin or instead of frequency uh it's, it's very very similar 60 percent of the sales are coming from or or I'm sorry, this is the fives. This is the upside. This is the other way around. This is upside down. The the fives are creating 60% of the sales, this 20%. The fours are getting another 20%. And the threes, twos, and ones are another 20%, okay, in sales. And here's another way of looking at it. The fives, which are the top 20%, these are all equal 20%. Again, 60%, and these are down to 3% or something in the bottom 20%. Okay, so we came up with, with the help of John Worth, a different scoring system, which takes the behavior. So this is 20% of the orders, but it's generated by 2 or 3% of the, of the top best customers. Okay, and, uh, and so it goes. And so the, and the one-time buyers are down here, and they're about half the, the file. Okay, so when you do this with frequency score, you find out that this, and this is actual data, this is 1% or 2% or something of the customers represent 22% of the sales. And these are real numbers. That's why they're not perfectly 20, 20, 20. Uh, I did it on frequency and then I showed the sales. Um, but you can see that the Pareto principle is true in spades. So if we take the top 20%, which is these two, these three pretty much. So that's 23, 24%. It's, it's uh, 65% of the sales. So it's a pretty good, pretty good comparison, right? That's pretty normal, right? Okay, makes sense. And uh, the problem is, is that you have very, very few of these, very, very small number of customers, and 
the greatest potential is down here. And as I said, many of these will look, other than their buying behavior, the zero data, <laughs> you know, the zero party data. Other than that, these will look much like this geodemographically, more than likely. And so how can we effectively keep track of these and, and keep cultivating them while still rewarding the best customers? That is a puzzle. Uh, here's where we have frequency being equal and showing you again the uh, customer count. Lots and lots of these people that have only ordered basically once. There it is again. Okay, and this is the challenge. The challenge here is this is marketing. The marketing spend is, is that if you if you treat all your customers the same, and it's you're inclined to do that if you have very little segmentation. So if you just do email or or text messaging or or uh, you know banner ads to their phone or push notifications, and you treat all your customers equally, all your marketing cost is going to be in that in that worst column you can't help it right and if if you don't have higher expense vehicles like gifts sending gifts or phone calls or visits if you don't have anything that you can do any other level of communication then you're not going to spend enough on these fives and you're not going to cultivate loyalty you're not going to cultivate loyalty by sending them six notifications a day on every order absolutely not you probably you probably lose them and so, you know, I, I advocate at least going up the level to mail and maybe three-dimensional mail and maybe gifts in the mail uh, for customer for good, loyal customers. But when you do that, people say, oh, this is way too expensive. This is, you know, I'm spending thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah, well, compare it. You know, just imagine if you took 10% of your sales for that segment. When you take that fine segment, there's not very many of them, but if you take a 10% of your sales and say, we're going to spend 10% of sales on that uh, and budget that for marketing, you can have a whale of a good time. And in business to business, I have uh, I had a client that, that flew in their best customers to their headquarters, gave them extra training, took them on whitewater rafting trips and horseback riding and had big parties for a couple of days over a long weekend. And, uh, you know, they just... They, and that's the kind of money you have if you segment your customers proper, properly. So I just wanted to show you that and get you to think about that a little bit. And if you're not doing anything like that, if you're just treating all your customers the same, I signed up for, for a text messaging from a prospective client. And they're a consumer and they sell, you know, like DIY tools and uh all of a sudden, I'm getting three text messages a day. I think I turned it off uh, or I blocked it or something. But I was getting two or three messages a day from this company thinking it was friends and family. And uh, yes, it does drive you nuts. And so they are clearly, clearly botching this up. And maybe I'll send this to them and tell them that they should look at the, 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 the bottom line. Maximize the value of your customers. You have to segment. Um, and... You can use RFM, but be careful about RFM because if all you do is that and if all you do is market to that, that high value segment, you'll shrink your company. The trick is to inexpensively keep in touch with the low end where the potential is and also reward the high end in a way not done digitally, not really. Okay, and then there's a lot of other tips. See you tomorrow. Have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.